Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, I'm your host here, Dallas Montague, and today we have another amazing guest, Jeff Jackson. Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing good, Dallas. It's good to connect with you, brother. Absolutely. And you as well. Jeff, where are you calling from today? I'm actually calling from a a city just north of San Diego called Escondido, about 25 miles north and a little east of downtown San Diego. Okay. And Jeff, what brought you to our podcast today? Why did you want to share with our listeners today? Well, uh, you know, I, I believe that uh, the Lord, uh, with the life experience that he's given me and some of the lessons that he's taught me along the way, uh, a lot of brothers and sisters in the Lord and fellow pastors and fellow missionaries that I know have said, you know what, your story is so unique. Um, God's let you experience such uh, some amazing things. You need to get that into a book. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I wrote, I wrote my mem- basically my memoir. Uh, which is what Extended Horizon Reflections is, to sort of just tell my story, but viewing it with through a couple of key lenses. And uh, it looks like there's some interest on a larger scale than just my friends and family. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I stumbled across your podcast a, a few months ago and said, hey, that looks like something that might be helpful to kind of be able to pass on what the Lord's gifted me with. Absolutely. And once I saw some of your book, I thought this would be a perfect match for our audience as well. So I'm glad we're here today. We can talk about this. We can feed them with this knowledge today. Great. And Thank I you, see man. here, Jeff, that you've been married for 43 years. That's amazing. Yeah, actually, actually, it's 40, 44 years now wow. since the book was published. But yeah, um, and uh, married married at a very young age, as I share in my story, I was I was actually 18 and uh, in the military, stationed overseas. And my girlfriend, uh, not a believer at the time, my 16-year-old girlfriend (laughs) ended up, uh, well, becoming pregnant. And so the long story short is I've been married 44 years, even though I'm 63. Um, And uh, yeah, it's, it's been quite an amazing journey. And the grace of God uh, you know, in your life before you were actually a believer and understood what grace was all about. Yeah. That's kind of one of the things I unpack in the book, but in a not in a not in a super specific way, but just sort of ge- uh, generically. Mm-hmm. And our audience is familiar with the way we normally do our episodes like this, so I would ask you to share your testimony, and then we would okay. talk about your yeah. book specifically. But okay. I've actually spoke with Jeff for all of you audience to know. I'm going to just give him the time today to share his story. Whether that takes 30, 40 minutes, I think this is the most important part today is your testimony. And so, Jeff, I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm just going to give you the floor and let you share. Okay. All right. And feel free to just lob questions at me along the way if something is provoked. But basically, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a classic baby boomer, and um, grew up in a, in a Roman Catholic family. Uh, in uh, born in Denver, uh, my family moved to California to get out of the winter, um, and so we landed in the LA area in 1963, uh, not long before my fifth birthday, and and kind of grew up moving around a lot. And you know, years later, of course, I understood that God had a purpose in the fact that I went to eight different elementary schools before wow. I was in third grade um, and had to kind of readjust in new contexts all the time, but eventually landed in the San Diego area, um, uh, fell in love with uh, love at first sight with a girl when I was 15 and she was 13. And again, this is the story that I tell in my book, the details. Um, and so we, uh, you know, we were kid of, kids of the 70s and um, I, I went to mass, but I didn't have a, a you know, a real interpersonal relationship with God. I knew about him as a Roman Catholic and had key doctrines down and believed in those key doctrines, but certainly wasn't a believer. And then, um, yeah, long story short, I was going to go to college and decided that, you know, I didn't want to stay local. I think because of the way I was raised and all the moving we did, I, I sort of like to do things that are unfamiliar, uncomfortable. I like to be in situations. I feel like there's parts of who I am that come alive when I'm in a context that's not familiar. Um, and so rather than stay local and go to college to get a degree in English and maybe be a writer, I decided to join the military. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Becoming a woman of wisdom, it's just that simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Keep in mind that becoming a woman of wisdom is a work in progress. As Madeline Roberts defines it, the definition is growing daily using your God-given wisdom in every situation of your life. Enjoy each new day, celebrate life, and don't stop until the vision comes to fruition. Pick up Madeline Roberts' newly released book, Becoming a Woman of Wisdom, on Amazon today. One of the biggest lies ever told is that when people die, that they naturally go to heaven. However, heaven is not automatic. This booklet, Heaven Not Automatic, explains the gospel of Yeshua and includes the prayer of salvation. Give this gift of love to all that you know and share everywhere you go as the time is near for the Lord's return. Find this book and other resources at heavennotautomatic.com. And so right out of high school at the age of 17, a month after I graduated, I, I went in the army um, and uh, had my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Let me you ask you a question. question. How did your faith play into going into the military? My, my faith didn't play into it at all at that time because, I mean, I was, you know, I was a, I was a Roman Catholic. And mm -hmm. in a sense, church is something you went to, but I didn't have a knowledge of the Bible. I didn't have a... I didn't view every day as a gift from God where God's strategically using me and the things happening in my life. And I had a responsibility to rep represent him rightly. And so, you know, I, I guess I could say the furthest thing from my mind when I joined the army was what does God think of this? Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was that I, I like adventure. I like, I like being uncomfortable and it seemed like a wise thing to do. Although when I, when I first saw my girlfriend who became my wife now 44 years, when, as I said, I was 15 and she was 13, I just sensed 
as much as I understood about God at the time that, that she was the one God had for me. And I started wow. praying uh, more diligently than I'd ever prayed before that God would help give me this, this girl to be my wife and spend the rest of my life with. But that was about the limitations of my, my faith and my understanding. And so through some interesting circumstances, as I said, you know, my, uh, I, I ended up uh, going to training in the military and then wind up, wound up being stationed in Northern Japan on an 18 month tour. And while I was over there, um, my wife and I sort of manipulated things on this end so that uh, we forced parents to let us get married. Uh, and so I flew back and we got married. Uh, I was 18, she was 16 and having a baby and I took her to Japan three days later. And so um, our son was then born at this small base where we were stationed in Northern Japan. He had some really serious health issues that almost took his life. And, uh, you know, at the time, again, coming from a Roman Catholic background, I prayed as I had been taught and so forth. And uh, we, we had to go on this amazing journey where the Air Force uh, basically needed to get us to Hawaii to take care of my son. But it was by way of the Air Force Air Ambulance hmm. uh, that picks up people from all over the Pacific at Air Force bases. And so I, uh, we ended up going to Hawaii where my son was checked into the, the big pink hospital on the hill for anybody that's ever been in Hawaii. They'll, they'll know what I'm talking about. Tripler Army Hospital in Honolulu. And uh, they, they were able to figure out what the problem was with my son. Um, and God spared our son. Um, and so we were able to go back and finish my tour in Japan. And another question with this, your son yeah. having these circumstances, did that bring you closer to God in a sense? Like, were you like it, relying it on God? Well, yeah, but not again in the way that you and I would use that mm -hmm. now. When, you know, when you're talking to people that have already had that born again experience and that kind of stuff. It, it, yeah, it drove, it drove us to God. We certainly prayed when he was about to die, which I explained in the book. You know, I called the chaplain. Uh, the Catholic chaplain for the Air Force, and he came and baptized my son, you know, in the incubator. Um, but it, it, it was it was as far as a faith that's kind of built on tradition and and so forth. We we were as far into that as we could go. But it, it was it was a different level of relational connectedness with God um, than certainly what we had after we came to the Lord a few years later. Mm -hmm. So eventually I, uh, I did get out of the military. Um, uh, I, by then I, we had another child. And so we moved back to the San Diego area and I started working and going to college and we had two young kids. Uh, so I was, I was 20. I had already served three years in the army. I'd had two kids and had been married for two and a half years at that point. An early start uh, on life. An early start on life <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was uh, the Lord started sending people into my life. This is the uh, 80 and 1980, 1981. Um, and while I was going to college, a local community college, the Lord kept sending, um, you know, believers into my life, fellow college students that knew him. And this was sort of at the tail end of the Jesus movement that, that had been very huge and Southern California in the late 60s and all through the 70s. This is sort of the, the tail end of that. And so a lot of these young guys that I was students with 
were sharing the Lord with me. And my brother had met the Lord himself and got radically saved. Um, and he started talking about this experience called being born again. And so I had heard the term, didn't know what it meant. And so at that point, I started to do a little research, started to actually read the Bible, which you really don't do. Most Catholics don't do. Um, started to read and it was like some things started to make sense. And, you know, I sort of describe in the book the, you know, that process of what led me to surrender to the Lord when I was 22 um, in 1981. And so at that point, you know, when you, when you become a new creation in Christ, you know, and it says all things become new, the old things pass away and all things become new. Well, you know, nothing actually becomes new. What's new is your perspective on them. Uh, the fact that you're right with your creator and now you view everything in your life through a different lens and you relate to it differently. That's what happened. Like it happens with most people who, you know, become born again at that moment everything changes even though nothing's changed i want to ask about your wife in this situation so you guys yeah. knowing each other from such a young age and she's yes. seeing your life as a non-believer as a innocent yes how did that change your yeah. relationship as you became a born-again christian well it's it's funny i uh, she actually surrendered to the lord first wow um, that's she amazing. actually that's good. she actually became a believer about three well it was probably about maybe maybe close to a year before i did and she, by nature, is incredibly self-denying, um, you know, a, a complete servant. And so when she surrendered to the Lord, it was like it gave her a further understanding on how God had wired her. And her love for me increased, if that was possible. Mm -hmm. And um, and then it was sort of, you know, crescendoed into um, when I came to the Lord. So she was already there sort of waiting on me, praying for me. Good. And I, I, I was the last one to get there. there with you. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Makes a big difference. And it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah. So at that point, you know, we, we plugged into a, because we had never been part of an evangelical church. So we plugged into a, a small evangelical church here in Escondido, a fairly new church plant from, uh, from actually, it, it was a, a Calvary Chapel background, if you're familiar with Calvary Chapel. So it was, you know, sort of a movement of churches birthed out of the hippies in the 60s and Chuck Smith and all that. And so we plugged into this fairly new church plant that Calvary Chapel was doing and were loved on and discipled and um, started serving in the church, um, completely uh, reoriented our lives. Uh, I was very much into NFL football and going to the desert with doing, we had a dune buggy and motorcycles and all that stuff. And that's what you did on the weekends. And the Lord, you know, then changes the course of your life. And so we started plugging into this church and serving there. And um, yeah, eventually what happened was the, uh, um, my, it's like the Holy Spirit. I, I've always been a, a voracious reader. I read a lot, I probably read 40, 50 books a year. Mm -hmm. um, on different subjects. I, you know, the Lord's blessed me to be able to read quickly and retain most of what I read or a lot of what I read. And so now with the Holy spirit, you know, in me, um, I was ravenous about understanding the word. And so plunged into some in-depth studies with the word. There was a seminary in our town 
that I went up to, uh, didn't take any classes there, but they had this humongous library. And so I plunged into books on theology and, and uh, other things. And, and, and yeah, just, it was, a, it was just a, an amazing season, the first year, uh, year and a half, knowing the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask talking. specifically about the Holy Spirit. So you were yes. saying you had this life as a Roman Catholic, and then now you're a spirit-filled yeah. believer. What does that yeah. mean to have the Holy Spirit for those people in our audience who just don't yes. know those answers? Uh, I, I think what it means is that you there is the experientially, uh, you know, what it means is that literally the God, the Holy Spirit, turns the lights on. <laughs> you know, he he takes your your uh, receiver, like if you think of a radio receiver, and it's been on all along, but it hasn't been tuned to the right frequencies. <laughs> and when the Holy Spirit, when you're regenerated and you're given this new birth by the Holy Spirit, um, by surrendering to Jesus and accepting his sacrifice on the cross, you know, he, he, he basically turns the receiver on and now you're, you know, you're, it, it literally is a new birth experience that changes the way you see and interpret everything. Um, so it's experiential. And of course it's theological too, you know, now all these years later, I've been a pastor and missionary and blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's theological doctrinal, you know, truth that explains this stuff, but ultimately it's, it's not just abstract conceptual truth. It's, it's a real experience with the real God through his spirit. Hmm. Um, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. So we, yeah, go go ahead. No, no problem. Go ahead. Yeah. And then I, uh, so basically, you know, I, I just felt like, you know, at the time I was going to college, I, I wanted to be a writer or uh, have a, actually, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. Um, I, I used to do the news at our college radio station and so forth. And, um, but I was just devouring the word and understanding theology and getting out in the community and sharing the faith with uh, homeless people and other people in our community. You started working with illegal uh people from Mexico and Central America that live in camps here, here locally in San Diego, we have very agricultural areas. So a lot of tomatoes uh, grown here and avocados. And most of those are harvested, taken care of by people that are here illegally. Mm-hmm. Um, live, and they live out in the fields and they live in camps and stuff. And so through a connection, I started going out and serving, meeting these migrants uh, that were here working and sending money home to their families in Mexico and Central America. And the Lord gave me that exposure to, you know, people in that plight um, and just opportunities. So I started to learn a little Spanish and so forth. But then as things passed, as time passed, I started to sense this calling that God wanted to use my wife and I cross-culturally. Um, we started, I started devouring missionary biographies. And when missionaries would come through speak at our church, I would have lunch with him or take him out to dinner. We'd have him over at the house. And I was just, you know, I was just amazed at what was God had was doing around the world mm-hmm. through average American people like me and my wife. And so we, we, um, we started praying along those lines, but not knowing that I was called into, you know, pastoral ministry at that, that time, there was just this sense, like we wanted to serve God cross-culturally, how that was going to happen. Who knows? Yeah. I can relate and to that, that myself personally because 
I was yeah. a young man, you know, at 20 years old. Yeah, I want to serve God. I want to be a missionary. And I did yeah. some missionary training, went to Asia, and now I'm living in Brazil. And I'm kind of in yeah. that transition, like feeling, yeah, I'm feeling more toward the pastoral role. I'm feeling called right. more toward that. And so I'm kind of experiencing that now, like that transition of preaching more frequently than I was doing evangelism, things like this. And I definitely right. understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was interesting is it was stacked on top of my experience in Japan. See, even though I, I was not a believer when we lived there, I was enamored with Japanese culture. And I would, I didn't, I, I had enough rank, but I didn't have enough time in service to live on base. So when, when I got married and brought my wife over, we lived off base in the Japanese community. And it was fascinating to me, this honor, shame culture, um, the, the collectivistic culture, how they relate to one another. I just, I found it fascinating. I became at that point, uh, sort of what I call a culture junkie that I just, <laughs> I just, I was fascinated by culture, but I didn't have the, in a sense, I didn't have the, um, the framework to really understand what culture was and, and how it mattered and how to navigate in it um, until I met the Lord. And then it was like the Holy Spirit gave me through the truths of God's word, the understanding of his design for ethnicity. God's original design for humanity was that we would be multi-ethnic, that we would have different languages, that there are different cultures. Um, now I had the framework uh, to, to understand all of this ethnic diversity. And so now that I knew the Lord, um, and there was these opportunities to minister to people that were so unlike me living in mm -hmm. fields nearby, yeah. um, it started to sort of scratch that itch of, of like, yeah, that unfamiliarity needing to learn from these people, mm -hmm. um, and, and needing to learn a little bit of their language and understand what makes them tick. It was just, it was, it was very intriguing, but I didn't know I was called a pastor at that point. So what happens is I, uh, my brother by this time, he's older, but he was now, he was in the army and he was attending a church in North Carolina near the base where he was stationed. And they, him and his wife took a test, uh, in the church on giftedness. And they called me, um, out of the blue one night. And he said, Hey, Jeff, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I have taken this spiritual gifted test in our church here to figure out what our gifts are. And we just thought, let's take it for Jeff. And so we take it for you knowing what we know about you. And we think God's called you to be a pastor. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, yeah. We, we really think the way you're wired and so forth and the way you express yourself and your ability to connect with people, you, we, we think God's called you to be a pastor. That's kind of convenient dude, I, that they took the test for you. You didn't even have to take it. I know. I That's know. pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So they, and I did, I literally, I didn't know that. I mean, I had never thought that God was going to call me to be a pastor, even though I was new that somehow cross-cultural ministry is something I'd be part of, I'd be doing. And so at that point, literally within a few weeks, my pastor came and he said, you know, Jeff, I really think that. God's got a calling on your life. And so I want to, um, I want to start giving you some opportunities here to, to teach the Bible. I want you to teach the senior citizens Bible study. So here I was, you know, at basically 23 years old, teaching a Bible study where the youngest person was, was 60. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then those people validated, yeah, you know, you really do have a gift. And so long story short, I was, 
my pastor began discipling me on, and I eventually the church asked me to came on, come on staff. And how many so years have you been a pastor? Church. Uh, well, I've been a pastor. That was 85. So, uh, <laughs> how many years is that? 30, 37 years. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. So went on, That's went amazing. on staff in December of 85. Um, but I went on staff and my pastor and the elders of my church knew that God was going to call us to the mission field. And we didn't know where, when, or how, but they knew my time was going to be temporary as the assistant pastor of the church. And so I stepped in, started doing all the stuff assistant pastors do. And, um, and then the Lord opened the door for me to make it, uh, through a, mir a miraculous thing, which I describe in the book, uh, a gift from a woman, I was able to go to the Philippines and, and go to a city that, um, I had heard about through some missionaries. And while I was there, the Lord just spoke literally audibly for the, really the first time in my life, uh, that this is where he wanted my wife and I to go and, and to pioneer a church. And so we, a year and a half later, um, after a, a lot of preparation, a lot of connections and so forth, we sold everything we had. And in September of 87, me and my wife, and we now had three kids, were sent to do a church plant in Cebu City, which is the second largest city in the Philippines, an urban church plant. And so we, uh, we, yeah, we left, we went to the field. Um, and we were sent direct from our home church rather than through an agency. Mm -hmm. And, and your family, your friends, the people that you knew, the people, what did they think of this? Uh, most of the, the brothers in the Lord, the people in the church, in fact, the, a couple of the elders, because they had been, and this is, you know, one of my heart's convictions is the importance of the local church, your home church in your mm -hmm. life. So the people in our church, including the elders and my pastor, they recognized my, my and my wife's growth in the Lord and our spiritual maturity, and they were aware of how we were serving. And so it really, when, when I, because we, I tried to start a missions prayer meeting, I always met with missionaries. I, I was reading books on, you know, missionary biographies. So when, when we shared, we feel God is calling us to go, their, their attitude was sort of like, well, of course, that's mm, just a logical sense. outcome yeah, yeah. for somebody that's on the path that you've been on. And so it was so clear that by the time we went, um, after uh, a couple of misfires on places where we thought God was calling us until he opened this door for the Philippines, it was, it was so clear that a couple of the elders actually said, we're so convinced of God's calling on your life to go, that if you don't, we think you're going to be in, diso in disobedience. So get out of here, basically. Go do what everybody else that knows you um, knows you need to be doing um, with what God's given you. And so, so we did. We, yeah, we, we moved to the Central Philippines and, um, and spent five and a half years there. How about the language barrier? What was that like? The language barrier was I made a foolish mistake uh, when I went because the Philippines, if the people there are educated, they speak fairly good English. They speak really good English. Um, and so I was told by some fellow missionaries, you got to learn, you should learn the language, go to a language school. There was one for 10 months, a 10 months intensive language school. I pridefully and foolishly said, I don't need that. I'm just going to, I want to plunge in because going <laughs> to language school is sort yeah, of a, a waste so of time. I'm on support. 
you know, the going to school every day and learning language is going to be a waste of time. That was the biggest mistake I made. I should have went to the language school. It's interesting. Learning language and in, culture. In Asia, yeah. a lot of people do speak English. When I yeah, was in Thailand do. and Cambodia, a lot of people speak yeah. English. Yeah. And now living yeah. in Brazil, it's very small numbers that speak English. And so yeah. I did the same mistake. I came to Brazil thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. Portuguese. I'll just learn it as I go. Yeah. No, yeah. it didn't work. And what, and what you find, you know, having you, yeah. you've been out there long enough now, what you find is that even though like the Philippines and Thai, Thailand, there's a lot of people that speak. They don't you can't have heart level life changing conversations with somebody that is just, you know, English is not their first language. You've got to, you know, unless you're working through a translator or you learn the language, you can't have heart level conversations with people. So I, I then started after I got there and I realized, man, and the doors that God was opening was among the poorer. I needed I need to learn the language. And so I started, uh, you know, I got a, I hired a tutor and had six hours a week with a Peace Corps, a Filipino Peace Corps worker that trained Peace Corps workers. Um, and so I learned the language, but I never, I never got fluent in it. Uh, I was probably about 70% at the time. Um, there were a few times I preached in it, but it was a real labor to, to preach in the language. And so I, I either did all English or I used translators. And again, if I could rewind, I would have totally gone to language school. Mm -hmm. But you're young. In the, in the language, that's so... That's a whole nother level because even if I like, I don't speak fluent Portuguese either, but right. I would never try to preach in Portuguese just because the, I feel like the message is so important. I don't want it to yes. get mis-translated yes. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so my wife and is I, actually I mean, my translator. She's, she's Brazilian. She speaks hundred percent right. Portuguese and English. And so that yeah. just is, works so perfect yeah. for us. It does. Yeah. And you can, yeah. And you, that, that works, but you're right. And even those, again, because Coming to Jesus is not just acknowledging, you know, something to be true, facts to be mentally acknowledged as true. And again, because of the culture, you know, you've been, I spent a lot of time in Thailand and Singapore too, and Nepal. Um, the, and any, most, most collectivistic honor shame based cultures, you know, if you present something to them, they're always going to agree uh, that they want Jesus. Um, but, you know, you know that those responses in most cases are culturally generated because they don't want the person who's asking them to do something to lose face and they don't want to shame them. So they'll agree with whatever you ask them to agree with. And you go away thinking people were yes, surrendering to Jesus it. when in reality they're they're just being cultural, culturally kind. And there's been no substantive change and substantive change comes about when you talk at the heart level, you know, where you it's can actually point. communicate things of the heart. So anyway, yeah. So we ended up doing that church plant and training up a national and turned it over to him and then came back in 93, um, wanting to go back to the mission field with some experience now on the field and loving missionaries and having done a lot of counseling with uh, other missionaries along with pastoring. And, and then the Lord you know, we thought the Lord was going to call us to the former Soviet Union to do missionary care, but the doors didn't open for that. And so I ended up planting another a Filipino church in San Diego um, in 94. And so uh, planted, planted that church um, through connections of the Filipino community here. And that became a multi-ethnic church and uh, eventually ended up starting a missions organization um, that would sort of meet the need for 
churches that want to send their people direct. And so how much more time do we have? No, feel free, yeah. Jeff. Take it. <laughs> okay. Do what right. you do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so what happened is I was a pastor in a church. I started teaching the perspectives course, if you're familiar with that. Um, I got invited to teach perspectives and then teach the missions courses at our Bible college, Calvary Chapel Bible College. So I taught culture and missions theology, and uh, frontier and urban missions, and, you know, pretty much all kinds of subjects related to taking the gospel to the nations. And so um, I just saw a need for sort of a, a different kind of missions agency that would provide the admin things, receive and receive the donations, W2, the missionary, not 1099 them, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big deal. Um, and uh, but would leave the home church in the driver's seat. So I created a missions organization uh, in 99 called Shepherd Staff Mission Facilitators. And uh, we are sort of a hybrid agency where we help local churches that send their own people to the field. We provide the back office admins side of things. And let me ask, um, where are you functioning at with this? Is it all over the U.S., working with churches and then no, facing them? No, it's, uh, well, our headquarters is in Albuquerque now due to some health issues that I had. We moved it from California to Albuquerque. And then we serve about 130 churches around the country and, and 200 of their missionaries in 60 countries. So, um, so they, we, um, yeah, we, we do that. My role is I do missionary intake. Um, I do the onboarding interviews with missionaries, the first connection with their leadership in their home churches. And then I train the churches um, that send their people out through us. I train them on how to care for missionaries, how to set up care structures and uh, those kind of things so that those that are sent are sent well mm-hmm. and cared for by their home church. And so, um, yeah, so that kind of got traction. While I was pastoring that multi-ethnic church, and eventually I turned over the church to concentrate on shepherd staff. And then, again, if I, you know, this is all described in the book, but then about a year and a half later, after a trip to Nepal and Thailand, um, I ended up uh, having some health issues. And long story short, I went through a bunch of testing and was diagnosed with a terminal disease um, with ALS, uh, New Gehrig's disease, and told I was going to die probably within five years, get everything ready. And so that forced a lot of change, a complete change of trajectory in our lives. Um, And then two and a half years later, uh, I was told, oh, by the way, you don't have that disease. You have a different neuromuscular disease. (laughs) So, uh, and, and, you know, the idea that what does it mean that God is sovereign? Um, The purposes that he has in suffering the purposes that he has in why, if he knew that I didn't have a terminal disease, why did he let us live for two and a half years thinking we did? Mm. Um, have you ever been able to answer that question for yourself? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I have. I'm satisfied with it theologically. Um, yeah. And just as I see how my life has unfolded since then, which again is stuff I describe in Burke, not in depth. And this, I mean, my book is sort of an overview of my life. So some of the depth that I'm talking with you about is not in the book. It's in the next one that I'm working on. Okay. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I, to me, the grid, um, is the glory of God, the, the God's worth and God's, we were created to reveal the worth and the value of God to glorify God. 
and and God uh, and anybody else that we deem worthy, in many cases, their real worth is demonstrated by our willingness to love them despite obstacles. And so it, it sort of, I, I, I put it in the realm of Job, where the whole point of the book of Job is that God, the enemy thought that Job loved God because of the gifts he got from God. And, jo and the enemy's mindset was, if you let me take away the gifts from him, he'll curse you as the giver. Because he didn't really love you for who you are. He loves you for what he gets from you. Makes me want to and go back God, and read Job again. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, read, read Job again. And that's, that's the point of the book, uh, is that the enemy had misunderstood um, Job's relationship with God. And God said, okay. And so when his wife, who did have that attitude, well, we'll love God until he makes our lives miserable. If he does, then curse God and die. Job said, what the, hey, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so I had already worked through a lot of my theology in that realm, working with disabled people and the time in the Philippines, and now I'm facing a terminal disease. Um, and, and so he gave us, my wife and I and our kids and my family, a two and a half year dose of looking like, um, you know, I was going to die. And, and so all that to say, you know, not to wax too theological here, but the idea is that particularly as Americans, we think that you can show somebody's worth or value by telling others what you get from them. And that's not true. Uh, of course, you would love somebody that gives you only good things. It's when you love somebody that lets you suffer when you don't, they have the ability to not let you suffer. And they let you suffer anyway. And you still love them. Now that says something about their true value. And I learned that from a guy, which I explained this in the book. I learned that from a guy with cerebral palsy. That's a really solid believer with cerebral palsy. So, And Jeff, so you, keep saying, you keep saying yeah. back in the book, in the book. Can you tell yeah. our audience the name of your book one more time? Yeah. So the name of the book is Extended Horizon Reflections. And the title really comes from the fact that I was diagnosed with a terminal disease and my life horizon, it looked like it was going to be shorter than I ever expected. I was 45 when I was diagnosed. I was told I'd be dead by 50. And so my life horizon was much shorter, which changes every decision you make when you know that you may only have five years left. It changes everything you do and everything you think and decisions. And so when I was re-diagnosed, my horizon was extended. And so the, the book is I extended horizon and reflections, extended horizon, what I've been able to reflect on in this life about God, about identity, uh, the role that God has for identity in our lives and um, suffering and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And Jeff, where can our audience find this book? It's on Amazon. Uh, so it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's in Kindle format, softcover, hardcover. Um, so if you just go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, 
go to, you know, the book search and put in extended horizon reflections. So yeah, mine's the only book with that title I found out. <laughs> um, and it'll bring it up and you can buy it in Kindle version or soft cover or hard cover there. Okay. And, and uh, again, book, I, I, uh, digital book as well. Did you say digital? Yeah. Digital Kindle, okay. Kindle version. Yeah. Um, on both Barnes and Noble and, um, and, uh, Amazon and uh, the Kindle version, uh, the, the electronic version is like two ninety nine. The other ones are much more expensive, but I don't set the price on that. The publisher does. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, but again, these, um, you know, you and I are going much more deep on some of these subjects. I, whereas when I tell my story here, I kind of glaze over some of this stuff. And then the follow-up book is going to be okay. It's going to be about, okay, what, what is some of the things I've learned about God, about suffering at a much deeper level, more about culture and language and ethnicity. And it's Do you purposes. have a, a deadline on this book, on the release of that? No, it's actually already released. The second so, book? Uh, oh, the second book. No, no, not at all. Nothing yet. I'm in the okay. midst of just writing it right now. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be, at least a year, it'll be at least a year out. Well, Jeff, thank you so yeah. much for all the things you said today. I'm, I believe our audience is blessed by our conversation today. If I, I, if I could ask you one more question, what sure. would be our overall, what would be your overall point today that you want our listeners to take away from your time here? Yeah, I think that the overall point would be that um, that God loves you beyond your ability to comprehend and that there are no accidents and coincidences, that what you've experienced, the life inventory you have right now whether it's a lot of really great, pleasurable experiences or a lot of challenges, trials, suffering, the inventory you have right now is what God designed for you to have. And, and that inventory is exactly what you need to represent him rightly. So that would be my, yeah, my, um, there are no accidents or coincidences. So even though bad experiences if you were abused, if you had whatever, none of that is by accident. God's permitted it to happen. And there is a way through his power and his spirit that you can represent him rightly and be used in the lives of others because of what you've experienced. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jeff. I'm personally blessed by our conversation because in the beginning you were Thank speaking you. from a perspective of I wouldn't say a non-believer, but a, a Roman Catholic, right? Yes, and then you yes. started to share that progress of becoming yes. a spirit-filled believer. And it definitely changes yeah. your perspective, like you were saying. And so yes. I was excited Absolutely. to see that transition point in your life because the way you were saying it, I knew you've reached that point. I just couldn't yeah. find out when. So yeah, perfect. yeah, yeah, perfect, no, no problem. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. With your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.